Hey, ladies and gentlemen, before we start the show, I have a couple notes about the show. First off, we didn't actually get around to watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, so this week we'll be talking about Lighthouse on Hulu, Sound of Music on Disney+, the half of it on Netflix, and I'm just going to talk about the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie, Kimmy vs. the Reverend, just for shits and giggles. Also, if parts of the news segment sound a little weird, I took so long making this episode, you know, it's been three weeks instead of two, that more news had come out since I started, so I wanted to add the new stories in without recording the whole segment again. So I just recorded the new stories and threw them in there, so there's that. So despite what I'm about to tell you in the intro to this episode... We did not watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I also forget to mention this in the episode. This is not spoiler free. So if you haven't seen any of these movies and want to see it, skip that part of the show. So without further ado, here we go. Hey there, future fans. This week, Roxanne gets reinvented. We need to run from the Nazis. And our world is black and white. This is the week of May 15th, 2020. And you are listening to episode 173 of Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show it's been two weeks did you miss me because i missed you kind of no i'm kidding i fully missed you but you know i've said it before and when i take breaks from the show i enjoy it i do and while we live in covid country i think i am going to keep this every other week thing going just to enjoy it for now and then when movies start coming out again i will continue doing a weekly show I don't think you can hear it because I I tested it beforehand, but just in case, maybe your equipment is better than mine. Maybe however you're listening to the show, maybe you have these super fancy, super fancy headphones. But if you can hear the sound of frying in the back, that is just tofu being fried because it's delicious. So how have you all been? How's your, how's your couple weeks sheltering in place been? I hope you all have been safe and Even if you're of the mind that we are overreacting and it's not that big of a deal, I do at least hope you're going about it sensibly and not like some of these people who go, oh, let's strap my guns on me and go to the Capitol building. That's a good idea. So I just hope you're being smarter than some. What have I been doing since the last episode? Well, I've been living my life. I really have. I've been going to work because I am blessed enough to still be working. And it is a blessing and a curse because I am still out there and I'm in a job where I am in contact with a lot of people. These days at work, even though many of you know I'm a bookkeeper, half the day I'm a greeter because I just so happen to be one of the more charismatic people who work at New Leaf Community Market on the west side. So my boss likes me right out front greeting customers and doing the count of people coming in. So yes, it's a blessing and a curse still being able to work because I am in contact with a lot of people. Not a lot of people understand what six feet apart means. And you know what? I, I, I have a plea. 
And I know a bunch of you probably already do because you're, you're smart people. I like to think my audience is smart. But if you're in a grocery store, read the f***ing sign. We have this sign. Uh, we, we have certain ways you can walk in the store to try and keep the flow going one way to keep, to keep it from backing up at certain bottleneck points. And there's a sign in between two different departments where it says do not enter because you're supposed to go around. And that is the most ignored sign I've ever seen. I've seen people read the sign, go right past it. I'm just, I can't believe it. How stupid or just how selfish are you? So you know what? If you're in a store, just read signs, maybe, please. But we're not here to talk about grocery stores. We're not here to talk about work. We are here to talk about movies. And as a lot of you know, normally Future Flicks is a different show. Normally I talk about all the new news and new trailers have come out. And we still do that, though admittedly there are fewer stories and fewer trailers. But we also talk about normally all of the movies that are coming out in theaters during that week. In theaters or to streaming during that week. As theaters are closed, we are changing things up. I am now watching movies and talking about it. I've been trying to keep the movies current, which is why we've changed to every two weeks. Well, one of the reasons we changed every two weeks. So your homework, if you chose to do it for this week, was to watch one of or all of four movies. On different streaming services, on Netflix, we had the half of it. On Hulu, we had Portrait of a Lady on Fire. On Amazon Prime, we had Lighthouse. And Disney Plus, we revisited the classic Sound of Music. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let us step into the first segment, which, as always, is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. Uh, the first story we have is from Digital Spy, and it's not really about movies at all. It's about a TV show, and not even one that I've seen. The only reason I saved it was because it's about someone I have very strong opinions towards, and that's Paul Hollywood. If you have never seen The Great British Bake Off, you may not know who Paul Hollywood is. And I'm always very torn about suggesting The Great British, British Bake Off because I love the show. Uh, but the downside is I have to watch Paul Hollywood's stupid f***ing face. Well, apparently he had a he had a travel show where he goes to Japan and eats the food. And it's been reported that in this show, he shows so much disrespect, with quotes, so much dis disrespect, by offhanded comments he made and basically not preparing for anything and going in with all of these assumptions. Like he, he says apparently that he didn't know there was so much different things in Japanese food that he thought it was all just rice and noodles. And some people got offended by that. I personally did not get offended because he's just an idiot. So that's just your weekly reminder that Paul Hollywood is a piece of crap and um, Mary Berry for the win. This next story actually about movies. This is actually has to do with movies. This story from IndieWire, AMC Theaters, one of the biggest chains of theaters in America, if not the biggest chain, has banned Universal movies from its theaters. Now, like all things Hollywood, this is not a forever ban. This is a, well, at least a temporary ban, as Universal noticed the huge success it had releasing Trolls World Tour online. It did huge numbers. So now, Universal wants to do both. They want to release movies in theaters and also have it be able to rent 
online. Oh, and apparently there's an update to this story that Regal Entertainment Group, which is the second biggest theater group in America, so AMC is the top, Regal is the second, has followed the direction of AMC saying, Today we make it clear again that we will not be showing movies that fail to respect the windows as it does not make e any economic sense for us. This, of course, is the window that normally theaters got movies for four to six weeks. Theaters alone would get movies for four to six weeks, then it would be available on VOD or to purchase. Not always right away, mind you, we all know this. Sometimes it takes the better part of a year for a movie to come out on, uh, on digital or physical media. But apparently Universal's wish to keep this a thing moving forward has made the two biggest theater chains upset. In a press release from Universal, they talk about it, basically saying that their goal in releasing Trolls World Tour PVOD was to deliver entertainment to people who are sheltering at home while movie theaters and other forms of outside entertainment are unavailable. They apparently got a very enthusiastic response to the film, and they state that their desire has always been to effectively deliver entertainment to as wide an audience as possible. They absolutely believe in the theatrical experience and have made no statement to the contrary. But, as stated earlier, they expect to release future films directly to theaters as well as the PVOD market when that distribution outlet makes sense. So basically Universal is saying, hey, look, we want to make our, our stuff widely available to all people. Glossing over the fact, of course, that it could potentially make them more money, so that's a bonus, to which, so far, AMC and Regal Theaters are saying, no, go f*** yourself. If we don't get an exclusive exclusivity on this, we don't want it. Which I think, I think this just hurts AMC and Regal. Because now they're going to, assuming this moves forward, now they're going to just lose 100% of the money they would have received from any Universal movies instead of losing just a small percentage to maybe people who want to stay at home. And once all this shelter in place is over, it would make sense to rent movies like this unless you need the big screen because then it's like, what, 20 bucks and you get it for a day or two and you can just get a group of friends over, go, hey, let's watch this new movie at my place. Everyone throws in a couple bucks and then we get the film. That does make a lot of sense to me. So it will be interesting moving forward to see where this goes. In sad news, actor Sam Lloyd, best known as, from the TV show Scrubs, has passed away after a long battle with lung cancer. He passed away at the age of 56. In this story from IGN, Nicolas Cage has been cast as Tiger King Joe Exotic in a new TV series. Supposedly, this is the new TV series that Kate McKinnon will be playing, uh, whatever her name is, Tiger Lover McWhat's-Her-Face. And I, I realize that whoever is making this, this TV show, whoever is behind it, is capitalizing on the wide popularity of Tiger King. But I just hope that it doesn't, I hope that it doesn't make Joe Exotic the good guy. Because let's be clear, he is not a good person. Even if he didn't order a hit on people, even if he didn't try to get people murdered, let's take that off the table 100%. He is still not a good person. When his zoo opened up again, we had people, they had people flocking to it like never before. He is not a good person. He may be some laughable clown that a lot of people go, oh yeah, he's cool. No, he's not. He's a piece of shit, and jail is what he deserves. Carol King, is that her name? Carol King? Carol King isn't that great either. I, I support the 
big cat rescue charity. We know we know that from Watch Your Mouth podcast that they supported it too. But I'm trying to personally separate her from the charity because she's not a sympathetic character either. Anyway, let's move on to a story from Polygon. There's a new Star Wars movie coming from director Taika Waititi. This movie will get a theatrical release, so it's not a straight-to-Disney Plus movie. Not that there's anything bad with that. He will direct and co-write the film. His other co-writer is Christy Wilson Cairns, or Cairns, who co-wrote 1917 and Last Night in Soho. Not much known about the film at all, there is a theory that it was it's going to be the next Star Wars movie release that has a 2020 release or 2022 release date, though with all the goings on with COVID-19, that could be pushed back. And sad news, the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show that was supposed to star Ewan McGregor is still on indefinite hold. This next story, ladies and gentlemen, comes from comicbook.com. Guess what else is getting a reboot? If you said Pirates of the Caribbean and hoped you were wrong, I hate to tell you, you are right. Disney is looking at rebooting this franchise, and so far are eyeing Karen Gillan from Doctor Who and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies for the lead role. We know that dead men tell no tales, but we also know that Disney will never let this die. In this story from IGN, it, it really isn't a story, it's just interesting that apparently the reason why Dr. Octopus was female in Into the Spider-Verse was because of the director's friendship with Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn voiced doc, the female Dr. Octopus, but I didn't really need to know a reason. I think that's cool, but I liked it. I thought the female Doc Ock was badass. And next, in an interesting story, also from comicbook.com, Sony and Disney have requested the same October 2022 release date. So one of the weeks in October, we will see two movies coming out, one from Sony, one from Disney. The Sony film will be Into the Spider-Verse 2, while the one from Disney is a yet unnamed Marvel movie. It will be interesting to see who backs down, or let me rephrase that, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes Sony to back down, just because Disney is a giant that you don't want to go head-to-head with. And even though Into the Spider-Verse was a massively successful film, a well-loved film, and a great film, it would fare so much better a couple weeks away on either side from a Disney film. In news from Variety, M. Night Shyamalan has set an ensemble cast for his next movie. Uh, I haven't heard about of a lot of these people. Okay, let's see if I know any of these people. First, Eliza Scanlon, who... Oh, Beth March from Little Women, also in Baby Teeth, Sharp Objects. Okay, so I know her. Thomas and Mackenzie, I recognize that name. Oh, she was Astrid in the Hobbit series. She was also in the movies Leave No Trace, Jojo Rabbit, and The King. Next is Aaron Pierre, who's from uh, the show Krypton on Sci-Fi. Alex Wolf is next, who is in Hereditary and Patriots Day and Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And finally, Vicky Kripes, who you'd know from Phantom Thread, Hannah, or Pitter Patter Goes My Heart. So an interesting cast, but not a huge one. Of course, nothing about the movie besides that cast has been released yet, just because M. Night Shyamalan is super secretive. This next story comes to us from Deadline, the filmmaker behind Doctor Sleep named Mike Flanagan is returning to the Stephen King universe with 
a film adaptation of the 2013 book Revival. So, you know, out of all of the Stephen King books to turn into a into a movie, I'm just wondering why Revival? I have never read Revival, but it just didn't interest me that much. I'm eventually going to read it, but why not remake Tommyknockers? Why not go with Desperation or anything else, really? This next story comes to us from The Playlist. Andy Serkis reveals that the Batman movie in which he plays Alfred, will be darker and broodier than any previous Batman movie. Apparently, they were in the middle of filming Andy Serkis' parts as Alfred when they had to stop shooting due to the coronavirus. He also says the movie will focus more on the emotional connection between Alfred and Bruce. And finally in the news, another story from The Playlist. This year, San Diego Comic-Con announces that it will continue, but it will be an at-home edition. So yay, my first Comic-Con will be at home, which I don't mind. I I always wanted to go to Comic-Con, but it just seems like such a f***ing hassle to me. But who knows, some year I'll go. In other news, we have a, a quite a few passings. We lost a young actor named Gregory Tyree Boyce, who was in the Twilight movie. He was found dead alongside his girlfriend, Natalie Adipoge, I think, in Las Vegas on May 13th. He was 30 years old and the cause of death has yet to be announced. The legendary comedic actor Fred Willard passed away. You would know him from a lot of Christopher Guest's many movies. You'd know him from Everyone Loves Raymond, or Everybody Loves Raymond. He died on May 15th. And director Lynn Shelton passed away. She has directed shows like Mad Men, Glow, and Little Fires Everywhere. Jerry Stiller passed away. The comedy legend best known from Seinfeld and The King of Queens and Father of Ben Stiller. And even though he wasn't an actor, the somewhat nerdy crew and I, we love wrestling. So ex-WWE superstar Shad Gaspar died at the age of 39. Him and his, uh, his child were caught in a rip current being taken out to sea. The lifeguards had the time to save one of them. He told the lifeguards to save his son and was found dead. If you watched WWE years ago, you would know him from his tag team with JTG called Crime Time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the news. Let us take our first break as we hear a word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. And we'll be right back with the trailers. Please stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. All right, everyone, we're back with everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to the Trailer Troll. First up, folks, we have a a film that so far doesn't have a release date. It was released at Sundance, or released with sarcastic air quotes. It premiered at Sundance this year, and the film is called Shirley. This stars Elizabeth Moss, Logan Lerman, Odessa Young, and probably a bunch of other people, but those were the biggest names. This is a drama thriller biopic about Shirley Jackson with Elizabeth Moss playing the role of Shirley Jackson. And if you've ever thought that 
Elizabeth Moss is a one-note actress, uh, I think this movie might change your mind. This is based off a novel by Susan Scarf Merrill, so I'm wondering how much of this biopic, quote-unquote, is actually true. Will this be something like The Theory of Everything, which is based a lot in reality, but is not the most accurate? Or will this be more like From Hell or Zodiac, where they they uh, take a lot of liberties? Whichever it is, we'll see. But this is about a famous horror writer, of course, Shirley Jackson, who finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. And I bet you nothing even remotely weird happens. So no release date as of yet. If I do find out, I'll let you know. But let us move on to a movie that I know its release date, and that is The King of Staten Island. That's set to come out June 12th this year on VOD. This is a movie written and directed by Judd Apatow. It's also co-written by Pete Davidson because it's partially about his life. This stars Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, Steve Buscemi, Bill Burr, Machine Gun Kelly. Again, God, that guy just pops up over and over. I mean, good for him. Good for that guy for working. And this is about Scott, who has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and takes his first steps forward in life. This, of course, is based off Pete Davidson's real life. His father was a firefighter. I believe he was a firefighter. Yep, that's right. I just looked it up. Pete Davidson's dad, Scott, was a New York City firefighter who died while helping people during the September 11th terrorist attacks. Apparently, the last time he was seen was running into the World Trade Center directly before it collapsed. Pete Davidson, at the time, was seven years old. So this film is about Pete Davidson's character named Scott. Oh, that's that's sweet. Uh, his character named Scott, who is dealing with the death of his dad, even though it's been a while, he just has to come to terms with it, finally, to move on with his life. I think this looks interesting. I think it looks like Pete Davidson does a great job, but also, there's an interesting double standard here, because I have always said it's not hard to act in a movie that's basically about you, just like Eminem in 8 Mile. But of course, 8 Mile wasn't that emotionally taxing for Eminem, where this looks like he has to revisit a lot of shit, so I think it's I think it's more impressive. So if you're interested in this at all, it comes out June 12th. Next up, my future friends, we have another movie that has no set release date, but was released in film festivals last year, and this is a documentary about Danny Trejo. This film is called Inmate Number One: The Rise of Danny Trejo. So last year, or the year before, I forgot what it was, but we had a prison documentary. Actually, it was 2018 Survivor's Guide to Prison, and it featured interviews with a lot of people, including Danny Trejo. Because if you didn't know, welcome to the party, he has spent 11 years of his life in and out of prison. Uh, he was addicted to drugs at a very young age. And now we're getting a documentary about how he went from this young hoodlum who was a product of his environment who never had a chance to begin with because let's be honest when you get addicted to drugs at such a young age it's not like you're growing up in some nice suburban area safe streets and everything you're like i know maybe today i will try some heroin that's just not what happens i'm not saying it could never happen so please don't quote me on that but people like danny trejo or at least young danny trejo because he has flipped his life around entirely but 
people in those circumstances don't come from a a nice, warm environment full of hugs and safety. So this documentary will tell us about his early life, about how he went in and out of prison, and how one day he went, you know what, maybe, maybe I could stop this. And he does so. Not only kicks a drug habit, not only stops going in and out of prison, not only gets out of any sort of criminal life, but then slowly gets into acting and is now one of the most prolific actors of our time. According to IMDb, his first ever anything was in 1983 called Project A, and he played Lo Sam Pao, and he did the voice, I guess. Let me see what this even is. Oh, he dubbed over a Jackie Chan movie called Project A. And since that first, first ever thing in 1983, the year I was born, born, he has, according to IMDb, been in 403 separate projects. Not only that, but nowadays he has his own taco restaurant. He has his own donut shop. I'm looking right here at a Trejo's Tacos shirt that I want so much. The only thing I want more is to drive down to Trejo's Tacos and have a goddamn Trejo's Tacos. And goddamn, look at this. On his website for Trejo's Tacos, he even has a donation page where donations will buy food for frontline hospital workers during this COVID-19 outbreak. So, from young, drug-addicted criminal to one of the most prolific and recognized people of our time. I remember in an interview once, someone asked him if he feels bad for never having won an Oscar or any huge award like that. And he says, well, look, I've had my head ride through the desert on the back of a turtle. Who else could say that? So we're getting a documentary about his life, and I really want to see this. Because A, who doesn't like a success story? Who doesn't like hearing a story of someone overcoming stacked odds and becoming successful, let alone it being Danny Trejo? So I really want to see this. There's no official release date yet. It hit, the last time it was in a theater was for a film festival on October 6th last year. So once I get a release date, I'll let you know. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that actually looks like it's it for the trailers. As always, if I miss something, please let me know. But I don't think I have because the trailers really have been lackluster recently. And I think we all know why, because movies have been pushed back. But I also think I need a separate YouTube account for this show. <laughs> Just because when I open up YouTube, it's like, oh, hey, here are all your suggested videos, like Animal Crossing videos, magic and stand-up comedy. That's really all I see anymore. So that's it for the trailer trove. Like always, if I miss any news, if I miss any trailers, let me know, and I'll talk about it in the next episode. But for now, let us take our next break as we hear word from our friends at the Nerds of the Squared Circle podcast. Please stay tuned. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me, Snarf Chris, and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah! yeah. Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com.
And we're back. We are back with the movies. And yes, like I said in that intro to the intro, uh, we missed Portrait of a Lady on Fire this week. We're going to do it next week. But I also think I'm going to change it to three movies a week. Just because it's harder than I thought to have a full-time job and watch four new movies. Because the way my wife and I do it is we take turns picking movies. Because, you know, it's fair. We take turns picking movies and shows. And for the show, I want them to be all new or newish movies. Of course, except for Sound of Music, which I thought I agreed with her. It was a good idea because it's been out for a long time. It's time to revisit it. So if I have four movies on the show, theoretically, that means seven to eight films that I would have to watch during the week as we take turns, because I don't want to take over the TV going, hey, it's for the show. No, we don't get to watch anything you want. It's all me, 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 me. Also, because God damn was Lighthouse a bunch of shit. All right. You know what? Let's start with that. Let's start. Let's do it like this. Let's do Lighthouse, Sound of Music. And then we'll wrap the show up with both of the Netflix movies, the half of it, and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie, Kimmy vs. the Reverend. Alright, so let's start this off with The Lighthouse. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you were playing along at home, God, I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry for this. But let's tell you what the movie is, what it's about, and who's in it like we normally do. This movie was called The Lighthouse. It was available to watch on Amazon Prime. It didn't take any extra subscriptions. It was available on Prime proper. This is about two lighthouse keepers who try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. This came out in November of 2019. And now I need to make a movie about maintaining my sanity while watching this fucking movie. This stars Willem Dafoe who we all know is the Green Goblin from the original Spider-Man movie, who pl- was in the Grand Budapest Hotel, who was in Shadow of the Vampire, who's been in everything, and Robert Pattinson, more famously from the Twilight Saga and from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, also the new Batman. Well, and that's really it for the cast. There were other people. There was, uh, I'm not even going to begin to say this name, Valeria Caraman, who played the mermaid with the huge vagina. And if you haven't watched his movie, you may be wondering, Billiam, what are you talking about? I am talking about a gigantic vagina. So if you don't remember, this is uh, the film from last year that starred those two people, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, who also did The Witch. The Witch, which if you know, Anne and I uh, disagree on, I liked The Witch. She hated it. And I was going into this film with my art hat on because I knew this wasn't a film that was going to be watched any other way. This was an art house film. Like one time I was at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and they were showing a movie and I had no idea. I still to this day have no idea what the fuck it was about, but I was able to write a paper on it, putting together all the visual elements of it and... That's a beautiful thing with art. I'm not wrong. Everything I said about that movie I saw at the MoMA was completely right. Just like you can watch a movie like The Lighthouse. And anything you gather from it, you are right. Because it is art. It is the way you interpret art. Like I've said before, movies like uh, Disney's Marvel movies, movies like the Fast and Furious series, Indiana Jones, things like that, they're not meant to be taken like that. You don't put on your art hat and watch a film like this, then uh, like, like those, I mean, then you'll hate it. So I was expecting an art house film going into the lighthouse. I wasn't expecting as hardcore 
of an art house film that it ended up being. In the very beginning, let's say for the first maybe half hour of this hour and 50 minute movie, I liked it. I liked the way it was going. I liked the black and white lens. I liked the long shots on people's faces. I liked the noises of the lighthouse. I liked everything. I thought it was a really beautifully shot movie. And then things started getting weird and weirder and weirder and weirder. Imagine the last 20 minutes of Neon Demon. If you saw that movie, imagine the last 20 minutes and how it kind of went batshit crazy near the end and then stretch that out for about an hour and 30 minutes of the lighthouse and that's what happens there is a story barely there's barely a story with this what i told you the imdb synopsis really is all there is okay that's not entirely true we do have robert pattinson's character thomas howard hiding a checkered past we have that but what we also have is a lot of masturbation We have a lot of Willem Dafoe jerking it while while Robert Pattinson is watching from underneath the lighthouse, dodging the dripping jizz that's like that he's fascinated by somehow. We have this really weird relationship between the two of boss and worker, but also almost lovers, but not really like halfway through the film. I was certain they were going to have sex at one point and and I think I would have preferred that. Because at least love between two men is a is a normal thing. It's part of our world. But the mermaid stranded on the rocks that Robert Pattinson decides to molest before he knows if she's alive or not with the gigantic vagina that looks like an overblown Georgia O'Keeffe painting. That was really f***ing weird. Having Robert Pattinson put a leash on on a, I believe he was naked, I can't quite remember at this point, on an almost naked or totally naked Willem Dafoe and having him bark like a dog as he takes him to his own death. That, it it was just so weird. And for this movie to make any sense, I can't believe I'm saying this, would have had to have been longer because we would have had to put scenes in between some of these weirder scenes to make the progression at all logical and the way it was this movie was too long so many times i wanted to turn to Anne and say should we just turn this off but i knew i had to continue watching it because i would always want to know what happened unlike six underground but now Looking back on it, I would gladly watch Six Underground for an entire day, back to back to back, before watching this movie again. Because at least there was action and comedy and mindlessness in Six Underground, where the lighthouse was just try-hard garbage. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me rant about try-hard indie films before and how they piss me off. Because they're taking indie movies and making it a genre when it shouldn't be. An indie film should just be a film that was made independently of big companies. There we go. That's an indie film. Huzzah! We have it. We have broken the code. However, nowadays it has become more to some people. Now, some people combine art house and indie to make it into this weird amalgamation where now indie carries with it more than just independent. Indie is now a loaded term, and it's movies like The Lighthouse that make it a loaded term. 
Because remember, an art house film is an ind- is yes independent, but it's also a, a super niche. It's also aimed at a very specific audience with seriously artistic intent. If you want to watch a a true art house movie, a movie that is one hundred percent meant to be watched as a piece of art, then you should watch the Cremaster Cycle by Matthew Barney. It makes no f-ing sense if you try to watch it as a as a normal quote unquote normal movie. The entire time Ma- Matthew Barney was making that movie, he knew what he was going to do. He he had a vision, he had intent, and he put it out there. And now it's it's out there in the universe, and we make of it what we will. It is a series of five full movies, and it is weird. I watched it once, and. Mm, Yeah, it sure was a thing. But the whole time I watched it, I knew, I knew that this was a piece of art by an artist who had something to say and was saying it through his art. When I watched The Lighthouse, I couldn't help but feel it was disingenuine. I couldn't help but feel that, what was his name again? David Eggers? Uh, Robert Eggers was trying to be artsy. And with art, the minute you try is the minute you fail. Art just happens. Like I said, the first 20-30 minutes of this film were the best parts. After that, it just went downhill. Not even the performances of Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe could save this film from being anything other than complete garbage. If you listen to my show and you like it, I can guarantee, I can almost guarantee you won't like this film, because I think the type of person who this film is for is not the type of person to listen to my jibber-jabber and enjoy it. You know I love movies. I can I can love anything from a mindless action movie to an art mo- art house movie. But there's nothing lovable about The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. It's a 1 out of 11. And my friends, that it's the first 20 minutes of the film that I actually enjoyed. That even gave it that one. The rest of it was so bad that it took out any joy I could have had from this. Alright, let's talk about the next film, which was The Sound of Music. Yes, we went back to the year 1965 and watched The Sound of Music. This is the story, we all know, of the Von Trapp family and their governess Maria. The Von Trapps lost their mother a while back, and their father has been looking for a governess because each governess has been chased away, but Maria will not be chased away. And also, the Nazis are starting to become a thing, because this takes place in Austria, which was one of the, was it the actual first place Nazi Germany took over? I think it was. Anyway, this film is almost three f***ing hours. I love the sound of music. I do. Three hours was still a long time, even though I enjoyed the film. This film was directed by Robert Weiss, who passed away in 2005, but he directed movies like The West Side Story, The Andromeda Strain, the version from 1971, and the original Star Trek, Star Trek The Motion Picture from 1979. Wow, he also did Run Run Silent, Run Deep. I can speak, I swear. But you know what? I have a confession to make. After watching The Sound of Music with Anne, I am not certain if I've ever seen the film before. Because I'd always said, oh yeah, of course I've seen The Sound of Music. Who hasn't? What sort of cretin has never seen The Sound of Music? Because I knew the songs. Who doesn't know the songs? I don't know all the words to them, but I could 
recognize them if you play them for me. And then we were watching the film and there were certain parts that were very familiar and certain parts that I was so confused. I'm like, I recognize none of this. So I'm pretty sure I never actually saw the full film, but now I have. And you know what? It holds up. It holds up so well. Because movies from back when don't always hold up. There's always something questionable by today's standards. Maybe it's that everyone at the ball is white and the only people of any color are butlers or maids. Maybe the black characters in there are caricatures. Hell, Gone with the Wind, 1939. Are Nowadays, if that film was made, would we just ignore the fact that they were on the wrong side of the Civil War? But the sound of music holds up. There are huge religious, barely undertones that are all positive. We have Captain Von Trapp, who hates the Nazis, who doesn't want anything to do with them, who is proud of his Austrian heritage and does not want anything to do with the coming Nazis, so they run. Yay, good for you. If a movie like this was made today, there would be some backlash. Like, why are there nothing but white people? Weird that there are a ton of white people in Austria during, wo during World War II. Weird how that happens. Kind of like when 1917 came out, there was, a, there was a lot of people going, oh, where were the women or people of color? Hmm. World War I, Europe. Hmm. But other than that, there's not much you can look at in this film and go, oh, that wouldn't pass today because it's just a positive film. It's a fun, happy film. There aren't even old timey uses of the word gay that would make school children giggle. The movie holds up so well and is so fun and enjoyable that it's easy, so easy to overlook the fact that it moves super fast. Even though it's almost a three hour film, it moves really fast. Like, Oh, these kids have chased away all these governesses. They're rambunctious. Oh, Maria shows up. Very next scene. Oh, we're good now. Oh, are these two in love after knowing each other for what, an hour? But it's okay. We don't question it because this is such a good film. And all that about the pacing issues was me being purposefully critical. Like I was searching for something. And you know what? Who the hell cares? It's a fun movie. It's enjoyable. It's not only a classic with one of the most talented actresses of all time and one of the most talented actors of all time. I mean, God, Christopher Plummer is still at it. Did you see Knives Out? He's great. But not only that, it's based on a true story and a true story that holds up as well because it's not like decades later we found out Captain Von Trapp was a Nazi or that... Uh, Maria hated people of color. No, it still holds up. I read an article about the real Von Trapp family, and the worst thing they said was that Captain Von Trapp was the nicest person ever and that Maria would have fits of rage and just start yelling and go slamming doors. Oh no, that's so normal. So not only does The Sound of Music hold up as a film, not only does the story stand the test of time, but the backstory still holds up. It's not like going back and watching uh, from 1975 or 77, Annie Hall, and going, wow, this is a great movie, but Woody Allen's kind of a piece of shit. The Sound of Music is a great film. It is a film that I will show, or we will show our children. It is a film that I will be glad to show our children. It is a film 
that is basically a time capsule. Because even though it's dated in its everything, like it looks like an old film, it's great. It's not problematic, as the kids say. It's just perfect. So yes, at this point, I am not certain if I ever fully saw the movie. It could be a case of, no, I didn't, but I am familiar with the songs and certain scenes I convinced myself I did. Or it could have been a case I saw it when I was so young and never watched it again that I just forgot everything. But either way, it wasn't a childhood favorite of mine. And I think it makes it a little more impressive that I liked the movie so much because I didn't have that childhood memory to build off of, to go with. I had vague memories of songs and certain scenes, and that was really it. So the fact that it still impressed me as a film, as a fun, enjoyable family film, says quite a bit. So yes, you may have guessed it, The Sound of Music gets an 11 out of 11. All right, folks, let's take our next break as we hear word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast. So please stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall, filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that, f***ing jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. All right, we are back. So like I said, in the little note before the intro, I never got around to watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Even though, yes, three weeks have passed since the last episode, um, all I can do is promise I'll do better for the next episode. So... We are going over the half of it, which is on Netflix, and then it's not really a movie per se. It's more of a special, quote-unquote, but it's an hour and 20 minutes, so we're going to count it as a movie. And so we'll actually end this episode on a movie. Let's talk about Kimmy versus The Reverend really quick. If you watched The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you know exactly what to expect from this movie. If you've never seen The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, boy, do I have a enjoyable show for you on Netflix starring Ellie Kemper, who you'd recognize from The Office or Bridesmaids, along with Titus Burgess, Carol Kane, Jane Krakowski. Those are the big players. And sometimes John Hamm is in the show, too. So if you don't know what the show is about, here's a quick breakdown. Kimmy Schmidt was kidnapped when she was a girl, not super young girl. I think they kept them all from being super young so it doesn't get too creepy, so it's still funny. But she was basically 18, I think, and she gets kidnapped on the way to school. The guy who kidnaps her forces her into a doomsday cult, and they live in a bunker under the ground. It's this guy who calls himself the Reverend, Reverend Richard Wayne Gary Wayne, herself, and three other women. Years, years later, I think over a decade later, someone finds out about this. They break these women out, and Kimmy Schmidt realizes that the world never ended. She has this whole life to live, and it's about her living her life and the cast of characters she meets. 
This show lasts for four seasons, 51 episodes, and it was canceled last year, but they decided to get a movie. And not just any movie, but a choose-your-own-adventure-style interactive movie, kind of like, uh, was it Black Mirror Bandersnatch? But anyway, in true choose-your-own-adventure status, you can easily die. Of course, in comedic ways, you can get wrong endings, and then the character will come on screen let you know you got the wrong ending. And they basically challenge you to get the best ending possible. The best ending for Kimmy, the best ending for Titus, the best ending for... Let me see, who else gets a good ending? Uh, Jacqueline, played by Jane Krakowski. Oddly enough, they don't really care if Lillian got her good ending. Probably because she's Lillian. But if you liked the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show... You will like the movie. It is more of the same, plus the handsome Daniel Radcliffe. And then there's some um, nice cameos by people like Chris Parnell, Heidi Gardner, Jack McBriar, Fred Armisen, Johnny Knoxville, and Josh Groban. But as you can probably hear, I'm starting to flounder on what to say because it's very easy. You either like the series or you don't. You either have seen the series or you haven't. And even if you have it and watch like the first couple episodes and you're like, yeah, this is the show for me, you should still probably watch the whole thing before you watch the movie. But if you're one of those people that did try to watch The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, just didn't like it, maybe give this a try. It's fun. It's just an hour and 20 minutes. Worst case scenario, you turn it off partway through just because you, you don't get it. You don't enjoy it. But maybe, just maybe, it could rekindle an enjoyment of a show that you passed on and maybe should revisit. When Anne and I completed it for the first time, we weren't too far off from the perfect ending, so we just went back through it and watched the scenes we that were new to us to get the perfect ending. And judging the movie on the series of events that happened to get the perfect ending, it's good and it makes sense. Of course, there were parts that were a little dumb. How did this one part of the movie end up so perfect? How did Titus show up right where he needed to be, even though he was trying to not be there? Movie magic, that's how. Stop asking questions. And a movie like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy vs. the Reverend, it's a little more acceptable to have things like that work out versus if we're watching for next week now, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and there's some crazy deus ex machina level bullshit going on, then we might go, hey, that's a little weird. I don't like that. And then the movie suffers because of it. But with this film, it does not suffer because you are watching a movie based on a comedic TV show that the whole premise is a little far-fetched. That all the characters do weird things. Why do they do that? I don't know. Like, during the actual show, not the movie, how is it that Titus just randomly started singing a song called Outside Bones, a song about teeth, that he just made up on the spot, and then at the same time, across town, another character just happens to be singing the same song? I don't know. You don't question it. There aren't a lot of current comedies I would compare to The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Because it's not really a sitcom, it's more wacky than that. So it makes me think of Police Squad, which the Naked Gun movies are based off of. Of course, at times Police Squad takes it to the next level, but it's in that kind of spirit, it's that kind of vein, it's that kind of feeling you get. So, my friends, let's wrap this up before we move on to the next and final movie. Long story short, have you ever seen Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? If you have and you liked it, watch this. If you didn't like it, maybe give it a try anyway. Why not? If you've never seen the show, watch the show. It's on Netflix. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy vs. the Reverend, gets a 9 out of 11.
All right, my future friends, let us talk about the next film, and then we'll wrap this all up. The next film, and the final one of the week, is called The Half of It. When a smart but cash-strapped teen, Ellie Chu, agrees to write a love letter for a jock, she doesn't expect to become his friend or to fall for his crush. This is a Netflix original movie that stars Leah Lewis from... CW's Nancy Drew, Daniel Deemer from a show called Sacred Lies, and in her first non-made-for-TV movie, Alexis Lemire. So this is a film that I discovered while looking up trailers for the trailer trove. As we all know, there aren't a lot of trailers coming out just because, well, there are not a lot of movies out there in theaters, but there's still some, but a lot of them are for either smaller films that are skipping the theaters entirely, or movies that are going straight to streaming. This was one of those, a rom-com that went straight to Netflix, and I, I almost called it a teen rom-com, but I didn't want to because I think there's too much of a negative kind of connotation for teen movies. But of course, maybe that's just the future of teen movies. Maybe the future is now. Maybe we expect more from the films to not just have some sort of problem or overall message that a teenager of the time can can understand, can sympathize with, can look at and go, I can relate. I went through something similar. Or I'm going through something similar now. So maybe we expect more that even the characters are better. Because I mentioned before that when I was watching Booksmart, one of the things that really impressed me were the characters. That like when they made fun of Beanie Feldstein, it was never a fat joke. They didn't like her and had nothing to do with her looks. It had everything to do with that she never hung out. She never tried. That's not entirely true for this movie because there were some asshole kids in it. But the main characters really weren't. So we had Ellie Chu, who just never tried. And one day she meets Paul, who wants her to write a letter on his behalf to this girl he likes named Aster because, hey, Ellie also writes term papers or just any essays for people. So why not do that? So we have a, a Roxanne kind of situation here. If you remember that old Steve Martin movie, Roxanne, where Steve Martin's character was helping this other guy woo this girl that Steve Martin's character liked. So they took an old idea and they made it modern. And the best part of it is it didn't feel like they were trying to make it modern. Like, Oh, look how look look how awesome we are in using TikTok. We didn't put TikTok in it. We didn't put Instagram in it. We didn't I think they put Instagram in it, but it's not like they were using it going, "Look, we know what teenagers like." So familiar idea that was done really well. And for the main characters, no one was really bad. I think I kind of was talking about that then lost the point. Ellie Chu, not bad at all, just doesn't doesn't really try a big introvert. We had Paul Munsky, who is just a lovable idiot, really. I mean, he's a jock, but he's not your typical meathead, machismo-filled ass. He is kind of a meathead, but he really has a heart of gold. And then we have Aster, this pretty girl that's super popular, dating the, the super popular guy. But she's very deep. She's an artist. She wants more than just living in this small town. And even Aster's boyfriend... Trigg, who normally in a movie like this, if this was a 90s, early 2000s teen movie, would have been a gigantic asshole, would have been the main antagonist, would pick on Ellie and Paul for whatever different reasons. He's really not all that bad. He's self-centered. 
Uh, he thinks really highly of himself, but he's not really a bad guy. So I was impressed that with this cast, or not the cast, but with the characters, there was no one really bad. Everyone did have their bad moments, their moments of growth, and especially with Paul, where he finds out that Ellie likes Aster, he looks at her and says, you're going to hell because they live in this small, super religious town, super religious, super backwater. So guess what? Maybe, maybe they're not too used to gay people. But guess what? He comes around. He didn't really mean it. He was angry. He lashed out and he was an ass. Sure. We don't, we don't let him just walk away from that one, but he apologizes. We even had a side story after Paul found out that Ellie was gay, was looking up on the interwebs, how do you know if you're gay and things like that, and he leaves a computer open. Why, I mean, why doesn't he just leave the computer right, right there where everyone can see it? And his mom sees it, so we had the side story of his mom, super religious too, trying to come to terms with it. And then we kind of have this old joke of, well, I was going to accept you. I was going to have a hard time with it, but I was going to accept you for who you were. What? You're not gay. Oh, thank God. Which, yeah, you can look at that as not the best joke. You can look at that as maybe kind of a closed-minded joke. Maybe. But that's really as bad as the movie got. But here's the ultimate question. Here's something very important to ask just in today's world. Is it still okay to make slightly off-color jokes if the person say either writing or saying the joke is a member of that group? Alice Wu, the writer and director of this film, is gay. She's also Chinese, so any Chinese jokes they have, it's okay because she said it, right? Which, personally, I don't like that. I, I think we either have things we can do or we can't do. We either can say certain slurs or we can't. We can make jokes or we can't make jokes. And I think that's a very slippery slope saying, okay, well, these people here can make these jokes or say these words, but these people here can't. But that's just me personally saying that because I believe if it's wrong, it's wrong. But hey, look at that. I didn't really jump on a soapbox right there. Not really, right? So let's finish up talking about this film. This film is really cute. It is one hour and 44 minutes long. So it's not that long of a film, just a little over three episodes of a show. The only real issue I had with the show, besides that maybe it's okay, maybe it's not okay joke, was some of the pacing because we really don't have any interaction between Ellie and Aster, except one bump in where they bump into each other at school. And then at the end, when Aster just randomly hangs out with Ellie and they go skinny dipping. Oh, one person I didn't mention who was in this film, who you might know, is Colin Cho, who plays Ellie's dad. He was in The Matrix, um, The Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. He was Seraph. I guess, if you recognize that character name. So yes, we have Aster really in the center of everything with three relationship options. Well, technically four. She has her current boyfriend, Trig, who, again, self-centered, kind of an idiot, but not really an asshole. We have Paul being dishonest, but again, not a bad guy. We have Ellie being dishonest, not bad herself. And then we have the option of she just goes off and says, F all y'all, I'm out of here. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming just from other movies like this and books like this I've read that we're supposed to root for Ellie and Aster because Ellie's the main character and they really do have a connection because Ellie is texting Aster on some, maybe it's supposed to be WhatsApp app pretending to be Paul and they really, really have a connection. 
So I'm assuming that we're supposed to be rooting for them as a couple, but we never really see them interact together outside of this Ellie pretending to be Paul thing. So those are my two main problems with the movie. And even with those, I still really liked this. I thought this is a really cute, really fun movie. I'm also really happy and really impressed that we had this story about a young woman who is gay but still in the closet living in this super religious town and that there's no sort of gay hatred in the city. Hell, the town from Footloose hated dancing more than the town from the half of it hated gays. So we have a movie that's familiar, but also a movie that's very relevant to this day. We have a movie that made an old idea current without becoming embarrassing because it's trying too hard. We had a film with good characters, but also a realistic high school experience in the in the way that, true, there were a bunch of people who were just huge assholes to Ellie, who were just bullies. But we had a refreshing take on this love triangle, and especially when the main love interest's current boyfriend isn't the main antagonist. I really want a sequel to this. I really want to know what happens after. I really want to know where things go. I want to know if Ellie and Paul stay in touch. I want to know if they all stay in touch with each other. I want to know who Aster really ends up with. Because just like in life, everything's not going to be decided for you at the end of high school. So we still have questions that weren't answered. So it's kind of leaving it up to you. What ending do you want? Personally, I would like Ellie and Astrid to end up together because that would be cute as hell. And they it's proven through the movie, even though it's only through text, that they work. And how more modern of a relationship could that be? People who kind of grew close through text. Maybe like me and my wife. So yes, I really, really enjoyed this film. So this was a good three weeks for movies for me because I saw three movies. Well, four, if you count the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt one. I saw four films since the last episode. Well, technically I've seen more, but we're not going to talk about those, right? I've seen four films and only one of them was god awful and should be avoided by everyone. We had the classic that holds up really well. We had the TV movie that was just more of the TV show, which what else do you want from that, right? And then we had the half of it. A film that could have very easily fallen into any one of a million different tropes. Rom-com tropes, teen movie tropes, gay coming out tropes, all these different tropes they could have fallen in and they avoided them. And I was very happy with this film. If you haven't seen this, watch it. It's fun. The half of it gets a 9 out of 11. All right, my future friends, that is it for the movies. So we're going to go on one more break and then we're going to come back with a question of the week and then I will tell you what films we're going to be watching for next week or in next two weeks. Still a bi-weekly show until all of this goes back to normal. So stay tuned as we hear word from our friends at We're Doing Fine with Robbie and Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're We're Doing Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. 
why we're single, popular culture, and basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, we are back. If you do not remember, if you cannot remember, the question of the week was, what's your favorite original movie or TV show from a streaming service? Bonus points if you can give me both. The only answer we got from outside of the family was from good old Frat Matt, who said, The Crown. The Crown, a Netflix original TV show starring Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth II, Matt Smith as Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, Olivia Coleman, Helen Bottom Carter, and, you know, other British people. I'll be honest, it's on my to-be-watched, but I have not watched it quite yet. We turn to this very house for Anne, who says, Atypical for a TV show, and the half of it for for the movie. Both are from Netflix, though she does say special shout-out to Christmas Chronicles, which is a Netflix original Christmas movie. The Christmas Chronicles came out in 2018, and it stars, let's see, oh, that's right. That's one with Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, and it's about two children who stow away on Santa's sleigh, everything goes awry, and they have to help Santa save Christmas. A very basic Christmas movie plot, but I really enjoyed it. And I think holiday movies are one of the few exceptions for watching films where things are very familiar, very, I'm going to say again, tropey. And atypical, it's a going to be four season. The fourth season is coming out next year. And it's going to be the final season. A four season dramedy about a young man with autism and how he's trying to go, go out into the world more and expand. And it's about also the family drama that goes on too. And it has uh, Keir Gilchrist, who you'd know from It's Kind of a Funny Story or It Follows. And as for my answer, my favorite TV show... And I actually can't believe Anne didn't answer the same way. Is Santa Clarita Diet? Of course it is. It's an amazing show that I'm so sad got canceled. Starring Drew Barrymore, Timothy Oliphant, Skylar Gazondo, Liv Hewson. About Drew Barrymore plays that woman who becomes a zombie somehow. And how her husband and family stick with her. And decide that, okay, she's only going to eat bad people. It was just a very good comedy, and the chemistry between Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant was amazing. Just like the chemistry between Liv Hewson and Skylar Gazondo, I wanted more Sheila and Joel. I wanted more Abby and Eric. I wanted more Joel and Eric and Abby and Sheila. I just wanted more of the show, and it makes me so sad that we're not going to get more. As for my favorite movie, it's actually Bright from 2017. If you don't remember, that was the one with Will Smith and Joel Edgerton and Numi Rapace, and it was the action fantasy thriller about a detective who has to work alongside an orc. If I remember right, he's the first orc cop, so kind of an affirmative action hire, but in the fantasy world, and they stumble upon this really big case where a there's a magic wand. Magic wands are really powerful, and they have to stop the bad guys from getting it. But who are the bad guys? Are the bad guys on the force too? Is it just these these gangs of orcs or fairies and elves out there? If you haven't seen Bright yet, it's really fun. And I think I was so impressed with it because it was a truly original idea. Because as a movie, it's not that great. I could pick it apart for days. But I loved its originality. I love the fact that it showed how versatile fantasy is as a genre. It got a low meta score and a low Rotten Tomatoes score. But remember, 
those people. They hate movies. Listen to your own thoughts and check out Bright if you haven't watched it before. A Bright 2 has been announced and I can't wait. All right, my future friends, let us talk about the movies we're going to watch next week. And it worked really well, you know, except for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but we're going to watch that for the next episode in two weeks. So here we go. Hulu has Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We have, <laughs> we have Lady and the Tramp on Disney+. Plus. I said Lady on the Tramp. Actually, that's a different movie we're not going to watch. So Lady and the Tramp on Disney+. Plus. Also Chitty Chitty Bang Bang on Disney+. Plus or Netflix, so you have your pick there, Amazon Prime has The Goldfinch. So once again, Lady and the Tramp, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, The Goldfinch. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, of course, our throwback film, because I've never actually watched it. So there we go. So let's wrap this up with our closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app as well as the somewhat nerdy website that is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also share the podcast, share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Billiam, S-W-N. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends... My dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.